Welcome to the Water Margin Podcast. This is episode 79. Last time, with some help from the priest Gongsun Sheng, Song Jiang broke the black magic of Gao Lian, the prefect of Gao Tang. He then lured Gao Lian into a trap, decimated his army, and occupied his city. Realizing the day was lost, Gao Lian took what few remaining soldiers he had and fled down a back road. After just a few miles though, his path was cut off by a squad of bandits led by the Liangshan chieftain Sun Li. I have been waiting for you for a long time, Sun Li shouted. Dismount and surrender now. Gao Lian quickly turned and fled, but his retreat was cut off by another squad of bandits led by the chieftain Zhu Tong, the lord of the beautiful beard. Sandwiched by enemies, Gao Lian ditched his horse and scrambled up a hill. The Liangshan forces followed, Gao Lian quickly pulled out his sword, mumbled an incantation, and shouted, Up! A black cloud appeared and carried him up the mountain. But, just as Gao Lian was starting to breathe easy, Gongsun Sheng appeared around the hill, pulled out his sword, mumbled his own incantation, and shouted, Speed! As his sword pointed skyward, Gao Lian's dark cloud dissipated, and Gao Lian came tumbling down to the ground. Before he could even move, another chieftain, Lei Heng the Winged Tiger, charged in and cut him in half. Lei Heng then cut off Gao Lian's head and headed back to camp. Word of Lei Heng's deed quickly reached Song Jiang, and he ordered his troops to enter the city. He made sure that his men did not harm the civilians, and he sent out proclamations assuring the city's residents that no harm would come to them. Next, he rushed over to the prison to rescue Chai Jin the Little Whirlwind, whose imprisonment by Gao Lian was the impetus for this war. By now, all the jailers had already fled, leaving behind about 50 prisoners. The Liangshan heroes freed them all, but Chai Jin was not among them. This had Song Jiang worried. They kept searching and came across a cell where the family members of Chai Jin's dead uncle were being held. They also found the cell where Chai Jin's own family was held, but none of them knew where Chai Jin was. The strategist Wu Yong now tracked down some jailers and questioned them about Chai Jin's whereabouts. One of them said, A while back, Prefect Gao instructed me to put Chai Jin in a cell by himself and to keep a close eye on him. The prefect also told me, if something goes wrong, kill him. Then, three days ago, the prefect wanted to execute Chai Jin, but I could not bring myself to do it because he is a good man. So I just told the prefect that Chai Jin was really sick and that he would die from illness soon anyway, so there is no need to execute him. The prefect kept pressing, so later I said that Chai Jin was already dead. Because of all the fighting lately, the prefect did not have time to look into it. I was afraid that he would send someone to check, so yesterday I brought Chai Jin to a dry well in the back, opened his kang, and hid him in the well. I don't know if he is still alive. Song Jiang told the jailer to take him to the well at once. When they got there, they looked down the well and saw that it was pitch black, with no way to tell how deep it was. They called out toward the bottom, but there was no answer. They lowered the rope to check the depth, and it turned out to be almost 70 feet deep. <sighs> Looks like Lord Chai is gone, Song Jiang said as he sobbed. Commander, don't get upset, Wu Yong consoled him. He then turned and asked, who dares to go down there to have a look? 
Before Wu Yong finished asking, Li Kui, the Black Whirlwind, stepped forward and shouted, I will go. Good, Song Jiang said. You were the one who got him into trouble, so you should be the one to do this. Li Kui smiled and said, I am not afraid to go down there, but you all better not cut the rope. Listen to you, Wu Yong said. You're quite the sly scoundrel. They now got a big basket, tied it to a rope, and told Li Kui to climb in. Li Kui took off his shirt, grabbed his axes, and sat down in the basket. They then lowered him into the well, with two bells attached to the end of the rope. When the basket gently touched down on the bottom of the well, Li Kui stepped out. It was so dark that he could not see a thing, so he felt around the bottom. The first thing he felt, however, was a pile of bones. Ah, what kind of crap is down here? He muttered. He then felt around another side of the well. It was all wet, and there did not seem to be any place to step. Li Kui now put his axes in the basket and reached both hands into this watery pit and felt around. Suddenly, he felt a body crouched in the pit. Lord Chai! Li Kui exclaimed. But there was no movement. Li Kui put his hand near the figure's face and felt only a faint breath. Oh, thank heaven and earth, he is still alive, Li Kui said. He then climbed back into the basket and rang the bell. The guys at the top pulled him back up, and he told them that he had found Chai Jin. Then go back down there and put Lord Chai in the basket, Song Jiang said. We will pull him up first, and then send the basket back down for you. Brother, no tricks. I got messed with two times on my way to find Gong Sun Sheng. Don't make it three. Why would I trick you? Just hurry back down. So, Li Kui sat back in the basket, and they lowered him down again. Momentarily, the bell rang again, so they pulled the basket back up. Sure enough, Chai Jin was lying inside it. Everyone was elated, but then Song Jiang saw that Chai Jin's face was all scratched up, and his legs had been beaten so bad that his flesh was tattered, and his eyes were barely open. Song Jiang was overcome by sadness, and told his men to hurry up and find a doctor. Just then, Li Kui started yelling from the bottom of the well. Oh yeah, we did say we were going to send the basket back down for him, didn't we? So, Song Jiang had the basket lowered again, and a minute later, they pulled a grumbling Li Kui out of the well. As he emerged, he shouted, You are a wicked! Why didn't you send the basket back down for me? We were preoccupied with tending to Lord Chai, and forgot. Sorry, Song Jiang said. They now helped Chai Jin into a carriage. They also put his family into carriages, along with all their property that had been confiscated. Song Jiang told Li Kui and Lei Heng to escort this convoy back to Liangshan. Next, it was time to dole out more justice. Gao Lian may be dead, but he still had about 40 people in his household, and I guess they were all guilty by association, because the bandits took them all to the center of the city and lopped off their heads. Song Jiang then rewarded the jailer who tipped him off about Chai Jin. Then, the bandits emptied all the money, fabric, and grain from the city's storehouses, along with Gao Lian's personal property. All this was carted back to Liangshan because, hey, why leave anything for the civilians? We're really not the rob from the rich and give to the poor type of bandits. The whole army then set out back toward Liangshan. They did not cause trouble for any of the towns and cities they passed along the way. 
for which I guess they want a pat on the back. After a few days' travel, they arrived back at Liangshan. Chai Jin, who was still recuperating, got up to thank all the chieftains. Chao Gai, the leader, then instructed his men to build a house next to Song Jiang's residence at the top of the mountain for Chai Jin and his family. And then, it was party time! Meanwhile, the two neighboring prefectures that had received the urgent request for help from Gaotang Prefecture soon got another message, this one letting them know that the city had already fallen and that Gaolian was dead. So, those two prefects sent the report to the imperial court. At the same time, some officials from Gaotang Prefecture who had survived the siege fled to the capital and told Marshal Gao Qiu what had transpired. Needless to say, Gao Qiu was quite perturbed at the fate of his cousin. The next morning, the imperial court was in session at 5am and all the officials were in attendance. When a courtier announced that it was time for officials to report news if they had any, Gao Qiu stepped forward and said, In Jizhou Prefecture, the Liangshan bandit leaders Chao Gai and Song Jiang have been committing numerous evil deeds, robbing and pillaging, emptying storehouses, and assembling a gang of criminals. They killed government troops from Jizhou Prefecture and caused a ruckus in Jiangzhou Prefecture, and now they have slaughtered officials and civilians in Gaotang Prefecture and emptied its storehouses. They are a lingering concern. If we do not eliminate them soon, and instead allow them to build up their strength, then they will be difficult to bring to heel. I hope your majesty will act decisively. The Huizong Emperor was quite shocked by this report, and he immediately decreed that Gao Qiu should dispatch troops to apprehend the bandits, cleanse the marsh, and exterminate all who associate with them. Gao Qiu now said, We don't need a huge army to take care of these two-bit bandits. I know someone who can do the job. I trust your judgment, the emperor said. Order him to set off right away. When he succeeds, I will promote him. Gao Qiu said, He is a descendant of Hu Yanzan, the famous general from the time of our dynasty's founding. His name is Hu Yanzhuo. He wields two short steel staffs and has unrivaled courage. Right now, he is the garrison commander at Runing County. He has crack troops and many stout officers under his command. I would like to recommend him to lead the campaign against the Liangshan bandits. Please give him command of the troops, and he will raise the bandits' stronghold and return in victory. The emperor consented and issued a decree to Runing County right away, instructing Hu Yanzhuo to come to the capital to receive his command. The envoy arrived at Runing County, and Hu Yanzhuo and the local officials met him outside the county seat. After the envoy read the decree and was wined and dined, Hu Yanzhuo packed up his things and headed to the capital with an entourage of about 40. He arrived the next morning and went to see Gao Qiu. Gao Qiu summoned him in and sized him up, and was delighted to see that Hu Yanzhuo looked every bit the fearless general that he was reputed to be. Gao Qiu rewarded Hu Yanzhuo, and the next morning, he introduced the general to the emperor. The emperor was equally impressed with Hu Yanzhuo, so he bestowed upon him a fine horse that was known as the snow-treading ebony steed. This horse was black all over, except for its hooves, which were snow-white, and it had great stamina. 
Hu Yanzhuo thanked the emperor and then followed Gao Qiu back to the chancellery, where they discussed the upcoming campaign. Benefactor, Hu Yanzhuo said, based on my intelligence, Liang Shan has a large army and many skilled generals. We must not underestimate them. I would like to nominate two officers to serve as my vanguard. If they can accompany me on this campaign, then we will succeed for sure. So the first guy that Hu Yanzhuo was recommending was named Han Tao. He grew up in the capital and passed the imperial military exam, basically the martial version of the civil exam by which the government identified talent for its administrative ranks. This Han Tao wielded an 18-foot lance made from date wood, and everyone called him the undefeated general. Hu Yanzhuo wanted him to lead the vanguard. The second guy that Hu Yanzhuo recommended was named Peng Qi. He was currently the district garrison commander in Yingzhou Prefecture. He also grew up in the capital and came from a military family. This Peng Qi wielded a three-pronged double-edged saber and was a skilled fighter. Everyone called him the General of Heavenly Vision. Hu Yanzhuo nominated him to be second in command of the vanguard. Gao Qiu was delighted after hearing Hu Yanzhuo's nominations. With those two as your vanguard, you would have no need to worry about those wild bandits, he said. So, Gao Qiu sent messages to the two officers that very day, summoning them to the capital. Within 10 days, they both arrived and went to the chancellery to pay their respects to Gao Qiu and Hu Yanzhuo. The next day, Gao Qiu brought them to the training grounds to show off their skills and inspect the army. After that, they returned to the chancellery to meet with the Council of Military Affairs and to discuss the campaign. How many troops do three of you have between you? Gao Qiu asked. About 5,000 cavalry and 10,000 total, if you count infantry, Hu Yanzhuo replied. Go back to your outposts and mobilize 3,000 of your best cavalry and 5,000 infantry, Gao Qiu said. Set a date to commence the campaign and go wipe out the Liangshan bandits. All of our troops are stout, seasoned veterans, so no need to worry about them, Hu Yanzhuo said. The only concern is that we might not have enough armor, and that might cause a delay. I hope you can show us a little leniency. In that case, you can take what you need from the armory in the capital, Gao Qiu told him. Don't worry about how much, just take all the armor and weapons you need. But you must organize your army well and fight a good battle. On the day you depart, I will come inspect your troops. So Hu Yanzhuo went to the armory and took 3,000 suits of steel armor, 5,000 suits of horsehide armor, 3,000 bronze helmets, 2,000 long spears, 1,000 knives, countless bows and arrows, and 500 cannons. On the day of departure, Gao Qiu also gave him 3,000 war horses, as well as a healthy chunk of gold and silver for each of the three generals. In exchange, all three generals signed military pledges that basically promised to either come back victorious or not at all. They then took their leave and headed to Runing County, Hu Yanzhuo's old base of operations. Once there, Hu Yanzhuo told the other two generals to go to their respective bases and round up their troops and rendezvous with him back here. Within two weeks, all the troops were assembled. 
Hu Yanzhuo distributed all the armor, weapons, and horses that he had obtained in the capital. Gao Qiu sent two officers to come inspect the troops and reward them. All this done, Hu Yanzhuo set out on his campaign, with the general Han Tao leading the front, Hu Yanzhuo himself overseeing the main army, and the general Peng Qi commanding the rear. Word of these troop movements soon reached Liangshan, and the chieftains took a break from their daily parties to discuss what to do. The strategist Wu Yong said, I have heard that Hu Yanzhuo is a descendant of the famous general Hu Yanzan. He is a skilled fighter with his steel staffs, and no one can get near him. We must counter with our most capable generals. First, we wear him down with force, and then we capture him through cunning. Before he finished talking, Li Kui cut in and said, I'll go catch that guy for you. You can't go, Song Jiang scoffed. I have my own plans. Let's have Qin Ming the Fiery Thunderbolt fight him first, followed by Lin Chong the Pantherhead, and then the chieftains Hua Rong, Hu Sanyang, and Sun Li. Once each of them is done fighting, their squadron will rotate to the rear. I will personally lead another ten brothers and follow with the main army. We will also have our navy serve as backup, led by Li Jun the River Dragon, the brothers Zhang Heng and Zhang Xun, and the three Ran brothers. Li Kui, the Black Whirlwind, and Yang Lin, the Multicolored Leopard, will lead two squads of infantry and lie in wait. With the plans laid out, everybody snapped too, and Qin Ming, the Fiery Thunderbolt, led his men down the mountain first and lined up on a flat plain. It was winter, but the weather was mild. After waiting for a day, they saw the government forces marching in the distance. This was the vanguard led by Han Tao, the undefeated general. By the time they got close, it was getting late in the day, so they just pitched camp. The next morning, the two sides lined up, and their commanding generals faced off. Han Tao reined in his horse and stood under his banner, cursing Qin Ming. Divine troops have arrived! Instead of surrendering at once, you dare to resist! Do you want to die? I will fill in your marsh, flatten your mountain, and capture all you rebels alive, and take you to the capital where you will be cut to pieces. Qin Ming, always a short fuse, got pissed off and did not even bother returning the insults. He just rode out swinging his wolf-tooth mace and made for Han Tao. Han Tao met him, and they exchanged blows. After 20-some bouts, however, Han Tao was starting to falter. Uh, so much for that undefeated general moniker. He was just about to turn and run when his main army arrived under the command of Hu Yanzhuo. Seeing that Han Tao was struggling against Qin Ming, Hu Yanzhuo galloped out to the front lines wielding his twin steel rods. Qin Ming was just about to go fight him, but his time was up. The second wave of Liangshan forces, led by Lin Chong the Pantherhead, had arrived. General Qin, take a break and watch me fight 300 rounds first, Lin Chong shouted. He then brandished his spear and galloped toward Hu Yanzhuo, while Qin Ming led his men to the back of a hill. Hu Yanzhuo and Lin Chong turned out to be quite the matchup, as they fought for 50-some bouts without a winner. And now, the third wave of Liangshan forces, led by Hua Rong the archer, came upon the scene, and Hua Rong shouted to Lin Chong that it was his turn, so Lin Chong broke off and rode away to the back of the hill, while Hua Rong wielded his spear and rode forward. 
From the back of Hu Yanzhuo's army came Peng Qi, the General of Heavenly Vision. Gripping his three-pronged double-edged saber, Peng Qi galloped to the front and cursed Hua Rong. You traitor! You're nothing special! Let's see if you can beat me! Hua Rong didn't even bother answering and just rode forth to fight him. After 20-some bouts, Hu Yanzhuo could see that Peng Qi was also starting to falter. Hmm, maybe he oversold these guys to Gao Qiu. So, Hu Yanzhuo now rode out again to fight Hua Rong and bail out Peng Qi. He and Hua Rong had not exchanged but three blows when another wave of bandits appeared, led by the female warrior Hu Sanliang, the Ten Feet of Steel. General Hua, take a break! Watch me capture that knave! She shouted. So Hua Rong backed off, and Peng Qi decided that, hey, I can totally beat a woman. So he started trading blows against Hu Sanliang. Just as they were getting into it, the fifth wave of Liangshan forces, led by the chieftain Sun Li, showed up. Sun Li decided to give Hu Sanliang her allotted time, so he just looked on. After 20-some bouts, Hu Sanliang pulled back her twin sabers and rode away. Peng Qi was eager to earn some credit, so he gave chase. But little did he know that he was riding into a trap. Hu Sanyang hitched her sabers to her saddle and pulled out a red cord from under her cloak. This cord had 24 golden hooks attached to it. As Peng Qi got close, Hu Sanyang suddenly turned and swung the cord toward him. Peng Qi couldn't dodge it in time, and before he knew it, the hooks had latched onto him, and Hu Sanyang pulled him off his saddle. The chieftain Sun Li gave a shout and his men charged forward and tied up Peng Qi. Hu Yanzhuo was outraged by this and rode forth to try to save his man. Hu Sanyang rode out to fight him. Hu Yanzhuo wished that he could swallow her in one gulp. As they exchanged blows for ten bouts without either gaining the upper hand, he was getting impatient and thought to himself, This damn trollop's got some skills to be able to hold her own against me for so long. Hu Yanzhuo now feigned an opening, luring Hu Sanyang into taking a stab at him with her sabers. While she thrusted her sabers toward his chest, he brought both of his steel rods above his head and brought them down with all his might toward her head. Hu Sanyang spotted this out of the corner of her eye and quickly raised her right saber to block the blow. With a loud clang, the saber met the rods and sparks flew. That close call convinced Hu Sanyang to quit the fight, so she turned and rode back toward her own lines. Hu Yanzhuo gave chase, but was met by the chieftain Sun Li. And behind him, Song Jiang had arrived with ten more chieftains, and they were all lined up for battle, while Hu Sanyang took her troops and rotated to the back of the hill. Song Jiang was delighted to hear that they had captured the enemy general Peng Qi. He now watched as Sun Li took on Hu Yanzhuo. Now, Sun Li's main weapon was a spear, but he was also very handy with a ribbed steel rod, so he now latched his spear and used only his rod to fight Hu Yanzhuo, so the two of them traded blows with their rods for 30-some bouts, with neither gaining the upper hand. Song Jiang could not help but cheer as he watched. While this was going on, Hu Yanzhuo's second-in-command, Han Tao, had gotten word that his comrade Peng Qi had been captured. So Han Tao rode to the back of his army and ordered them to all charge forward. Seeing this, Song Jiang pointed with his whip, and the ten chieftains and the Liangshan troops also charged forward. At the same time, the various backup forces from Liangshan also attacked from the flanks. 
Seeing this, Hu Yanzhuo quickly turned his own troops around to take on the enemy. The Liangshan forces had the element of surprise, but Hu Yanzhuo had his own advantage. His cavalry were all heavily armored, both horses and men. The only exposed parts on the horses were their hooves, while the men were covered in armor from head to toe, with only their eyes being visible. Song Jiang had his own armored cavalry, but they were nowhere near as well equipped. And as his men fired arrows at Hu Yanzhuo's cavalry, the shots just bounced harmlessly off the enemy's armor. Hu Yanzhuo's troops, meanwhile, answered with their own barrage of arrows, preventing Song Jiang's troops from getting close. Seeing that a victory was not possible, Song Jiang ordered his troops to fall back, and Hu Yanzhuo did likewise. After he returned to camp, Song Jiang instructed his men to bring forth the prisoner Peng Qi. A few armed soldiers dragged him into the tent, but Song Jiang stood up, barked for his own men to back off, and then personally untied Peng Qi and offered him a seat. Once Peng Qi sat down, Song Jiang kneeled in front of him and bowed, prompting Peng Qi to return the gesture and say, I am your prisoner. I expected to die. General, why do you treat me like a guest? My brothers and I have nowhere to go, so we have temporarily occupied this marsh as a refuge, and we have committed many offenses, Song Jiang said. Today, the court has sent you to come apprehend us. We should surrender, but we fear that if we did, we would not be able to save our lives. So, we had no choice but to fight you and add to our list of offenses. We accidentally insulted you. Please, forgive us. Peng Qi was not expecting this, and all he could say was, I have long heard that you are honorable and compassionate, and that you help those in need. Turns out, you really are a man of honor. If you spare my life, I will dedicate it to serving you. Song Jiang was delighted and told him, My brothers and I are pining for the day when the sage emperor will show us leniency and pardon our crimes. Then, we will put our lives on the line to repay the country, even if it means our death. Song Jiang then sent Peng Qi up to Liangshan to meet Chao Gai, and to stay there as the newest recruit, while he tended to his army and met with his chieftains about how to defeat Hu Yanzhuo. Meanwhile, on the other side, Hu Yanzhuo was meeting with his second-in-command, Han Tao. Han Tao said, when those knaves saw our troops approach today, they charged forward in a quick covering action. Tomorrow, we should hit them with our whole cavalry. That will guarantee a big victory. My thoughts exactly, Hu Yanzhuo agreed. I have already made all the arrangements. I just wanted to discuss with you first. To see how the next battle will go, tune in to the next episode of the Water Margin Podcast. Also on the next episode... The bandits decide that they need to forcibly recruit another guy. So, join us next time. Thanks for listening.